Welcome to the Martinskirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit martinskirk.com. Our sermon text this morning, we finally broke through the first chapter of James, is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there or sit at my footstool. You have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word again this morning. I pray that you will convict us of any partiality within our lives. Grow us in grace by your spirit. Through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So when we think of heroes of the faith, and we've been going through James uh, for for quite some time now, and we know the backdrop of James, those who've been oppressed and and, and, uh, persecuted for the faith. And they have to be these these noble heroes of the faith who stand in the face of judgment. But when we think of heroes of the faith, or even heroes uh, of, of nations or war heroes, we often think of men or women who stood up to the enemy no matter the cost. You don't try to appease the enemy or get on their good side in order to to preserve yourself. Those whom we remember, those who we we revere, are those who stand up, who count it all joy in the face of trial for what they believe in or for those whom they love. And I've been uh, reading through the Chronicles of Narnia with the boys at home after dinner. We're almost through The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I couldn't help but thinking of the introduction of Edmund into Narnia. How he was angry at his brother and sisters. And how he stumbled upon the White Witch of Narnia. And he took the opportunity to get back at them. He took the opportunity to exalt himself. He was seduced by the riches of the White Witch, by the magic that she showed him. And even when his siblings told him of the evil things that she had done, and that she continues to do and would do to them, he still thought that he could take advantage of this, that he could receive something from her. Now, of course, we know that this didn't end well for Edmund, and that his treachery didn't go unnoticed, especially when Aslan comes along. And Edmund's plot line shows that appeasing your oppressors To preserve yourself or gain advantage rarely works. And if it does, it's only temporary. Those who spur on faith 
and inspire churches and nations are not those who cave under pressure by those who stand unmoved by the oppressing authorities around them. They're the ones who stand unmoved. The oppressors often offer a false glory, whether it's life, preserving your own life, or riches, or maybe cultural uh, appeasement or cultural credibility. They offer many things, and they promise that they'll leave you alone if you just go along with it. If we can just shower them with attention or favor, maybe we'll be okay when they eventually come for us. That's often the thought that cowards have. And this should be relatable, I think, to us. We are bombarded with the rich and the powerful promoting various ideologies and beliefs about sexuality, about racial issues, or politics, or socially charged topics like that. And if you just say this line, if you just do this one thing, then you'll be fine. If you just say this one thing, you won't be considered a hater. If you only just affirm this belief about sexuality, you will not be a bigot. Or even on a more personal level, if I don't tell my neighbor that I'm a Christian, maybe they'll, maybe they'll come around a bit more often. Maybe they'll think of me a little bit better. Maybe they'll befriend me. If I affirm this political issue, I won't lose my job. Compromise like this is never, never results in the attended effect. The attended effect is to preserve yourself. But it never ends that way. And if it does, it's only a temporary appeasement. But the question we should ask is at what cost? At what cost? Well, for James, it's a giant cost. You often break the law of God and offend Him in order to appease men. And this is the issue that James is addressing in the beginning of James chapter 2. The early Christians are being oppressed and persecuted by a rich ruling class that takes advantage of them in the courts. And yet, they get blinded by the shiny gold rings and bright clothing that they wear, their status and riches, and try to get on their good side in order to have an easier life. But it's not working, and they continue to do it. So last week, James gave us our marching orders for how we are to exhibit a pure and undefiled religion in our world. He showed us that we are to help those who are less fortunate than us, and to keep ourselves unstained from the sinful world that despises those same less fortunate people. Now in verse 1 of chapter 2, James is doubling down on this truth when he says, Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, to show partiality is to show an unfairest bias toward one person over and against another. Often classes of people or, or, or what have you. To show partiality is to show an unfair bias towards someone over another. We are not to play favorites in the church of Jesus Christ. And like last week, James used a different title of God to point to another truth about whatever topic he's trying to prove. Jesus is the Lord of glory. Last week we heard of God the Father as being the reason, the foundation for our pure and undefiled religion, our ministry to orphans and widows, and to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Now, Jesus is mentioned as the Lord of glory. The glory of God 
is the foundation for our understanding of the sin of partiality and of the reality of, the, of equality under the household of God. So true glory, glory is found in the life of the crucified and risen Christ. And everyone united to him has been made heirs of the kingdom of God. There are no poor in the kingdom of heaven. God is not partial. He makes even the poor of this world rich in him. Deuteronomy chapter 1 says, You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. Deuteronomy 1.17 In Christ's church, in Christ's church, the judgment is God's. And he hears the small as well as the great equally. Now remember, the early Christians here are being hit from all sides by the rich and powerful of their age. The wealthy, the Roman leaders, and the Jewish elites. And James is saying to them, do not act like them. Do not act like them. Jesus is the Lord of all glory, and he does not show partiality to the rich. Paul says in Colossians that there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. He is all and in all. He is the Lord of glory, and he grants his glory to all who believe, irrespective of of status or lineage. And this is how the church of Jesus should act toward one another. We are all one in Christ, and we are all heirs according to the promises of God. Now, in order to show how these early Christians were showing partiality, James gives us an example. An example for us to consider. And this is a parabolic example. It's not an actual example that happens in these churches, but he's showing uh, an actual in a hypothetical situation that really does apply to various circumstances that they've put themselves in. So it's an example of a real sin that's prevalent during the early church, but it's an example nonetheless. A man of high esteem comes into the Christian assembly. Now, the assembly that, that James is mentioning here is not the worship service. And you can notice that by the differences in posture for the rich and the poor. In a worship service, you have the same posture throughout the service. For here, it's actually talking about judgment. In the early church, um, like the Jewish authorities and Jewish communities back then, they had their own courts that they would appeal to for legal disputes. And they would go to these courts, and it would be in church, in the assembly of the believers, and they would try to work out their differences at the church level. If it didn't work, then they'd appeal to a higher authority. Uh, as far as legal matters are concerned. So here we have a courtroom situation. James is speaking about a courtroom setting here. A man of high esteem, of, of riches, comes in with gold rings and fine apparel. And fine actually means here bright or shining. So it's kind of like a glory here, as well as gold. And the church surrounds, surrounds this man with attention and favor. They invite him to sit with them and in their nice seats, all the while ignoring and even humiliating the poor in filthy clothes. And because this is a courtroom setting, this is a courtroom scenario, it is implied that the rich man and the poor man 
are involved in a legal dispute together. They're, they're not just coincidences who were brought into the same room. They're actually in a legal dispute. And the church of all places is treating the rich man with favor when they are supposed to be judging the case impartially. They are stacking the courts in favor of the rich, and in doing so, have tread upon the poor with their feet. Which is why James uses the line, sit here at my footstool. Those who are judged and found guilty sit at your footstool. Psalm 110 describes our Lord making his enemies his footstool. It's a a lording over someone. It's a judgment. He treads on his enemies. So the church has begun to tread on the poor in favor of the rich. They see their bright gold rings and bright shining clothing as glory, as glory that should be acknowledged, as glory that should be revered. Now there is such thing as giving honor and glory to those in in various positions within a society. That's good. It's natural to do. But they are not showing they are not to show this favoritism in the judgment of church matters. That is where this favoritism should be abolished. And James is saying that the Christians are are giving into the false glory of material riches and status, the bright and shiny things of this world, and are rejecting the glory of the Lord found in the faith of believers, no matter their earthly status. They have lost track of the real and lasting glory and are treating the poor as less in the kingdom of God. And they are doing this because, as we will see in verse 6 of chapter 2, the rich are abusing the poor through the courts. In the first century, the rich could just sue their workers or the poor within a society. They could just sue them over trivial matters. And if they did that, they knew that they would incur a fine that they couldn't pay. And the only thing that they could do if they couldn't pay a fine is to work for them, to be servants to them. So it was a way for them to receive servitude. The rich would often bring these trivial matters to the court in order to gain servants. And the Christians here are smoozing to the rich in hopes that when the rich are tempted to run them through the courts, that they'll somehow have compassion on them. But this isn't how God works, and as Christians, this is not how we are to act. We are to stand firm for justice, even in the face of persecution. We are to stand up for the poor man being abused by the rich. And we are to do this because God shows no partiality. Riches can often corrupt men, Because they give a false glory, a false security and power. When one one loves earthly riches, he or she becomes corrupt. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, that's of course saying the love of money. Money itself is not evil. God desires humility and lowliness of heart rather than pride and false securities. He desires your heart. And this is why we often see him favoring the poor and oppressed in the scriptures. It's not a partiality. It's a matter of the heart. Those who are poor are often more receptive to the faith, to trusting the Lord of glory, to trusting him for their glory, to honor them and to establish them 
rather than the riches of this world. And this is why James can say things like, has God, not, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Now, it's to those who love him. Not every poor person will be saved. But it's to those who love him. Now, of course, rich people can be saved, and they are saved, and inherit the kingdom of God. But the poor believer should be viewed as heirs of the kingdom despite their earthly status. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So God promises the kingdom to those who love him and keep his commandments. Those who are poor in spirit, which is to say, rich in faith. And he often chooses the poor in order to bring the rich to repentance. Paul makes this point rather plainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ. Who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So when we show partiality, we show that we long for the glory of men over the Lord of glory. And when the rich dishonor the poor in spirit, they blaspheme the name by which we are called. They blaspheme the name of Jesus. According to James, to oppress the poor is a grave sin. To hurt Christians who cannot defend themselves is in fact blasphemy against the name of Christ. And this is a sin that the dispersed Christians of the first century were battling. James says, But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts. Now did you catch that? That, that switch there. But you have dishonored the poor man. And then he says, Do not the, the rich oppress you and drag you through the courts. The Christians who are showing favoritism to the rich are the same people being dragged into the courts themselves. They are the poor. In showing favoritism toward the rich, they are trying to skirt more abuses that may come their way. But in doing this, they dishonor their brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering at the hands of these evil men. They are betraying their brothers and sisters in order to save themselves. But judging by the fact that this continues to happen, it isn't working. To show partiality in the church of Christ is not only dishonor to those whom you do not show favor to, but it is also blaspheming the name of Christ. You are saying that this person is not, in fact, a king and priest in the household of God. You are denying the reality of their future inheritance that is identical to yours through faith in Jesus Christ. You are treating them as an unbeliever. 
The truth is that they are heirs of the new heaven and new earth, just as you are. They are rich in faith. Paul handles this issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when the rich were excluding the poor from the Lord's Supper, getting drunk and fat off the meal while the poor went hungry. This is not only dividing the body of Christ, but it's also defaming His name, which was given to them in their baptisms. And James says that this is breaking the perfect law of liberty that he mentions earlier. The the law of liberty that all Christians are bound to. This is law-breaking. The royal law of Christ that demands for us to love our neighbors as ourselves helps to sum up the whole law and the prophets. And when we show partiality, we break this law and we stand guilty before God. This This is a serious offense. It's a serious offense. Leviticus chapter 19 says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. And it goes on. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we may not have church courts in the same way that the the early Christians had it. We don't usually dispute legal matters, though Paul does tell us that we should probably do that before going to the courts. We don't have these same sort of courtroom scenarios uh, in modern Christian churches. But we do have judgments that we make in our minds or in our own hearts. Do not bear any grudge against your brother, Moses says. And Jesus says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. You and your brother stand under the same law, no matter your worldly status. So even our attitudes toward one another should not exhibit partiality. Love your neighbor as yourself. You give yourself a lot of grace. I'm willing to bet that you give yourself a lot of grace and a lot of, it, uh, of issues in a lot of areas. Give that same grace to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when it comes to applying this passage to our lives, we should be asking this question. What are some ways our congregation shows partiality? And this is a hard question to answer honestly. It really is. We don't have rich families that are running poor families through the courts. It's not something we do. Thank thank the Lord. We don't seem to show favoritism for the rich in our congregation. We don't make that a requirement for eldership or deaconship. We don't show certain families certain counseling or, or, or advice over others because they're poor. But we can ask really practical heart questions. Like, do we show certain families hospitality over and against other families? That one kind of... That one might hit somebody. I don't know. Do we think that some families or members are easier than others? And decide not to welcome them into our lives or get close to them because it's just too hard. It's, it's hard work. If we are honest with ourselves, is this something that we do? Think about that. Do we avoid people because our personalities are incompatible? Do we hold grudges toward other members 
over something that was said or avoid them because of it. We should be honest with ourselves. And then when we think externally from our congregation, do we welcome any Christian or any unbeliever into our midst? Or do we only look to invite those who are put together or orderly? Do we pursue the messy people in our lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Jesus says not to just love your neighbor, but even to love your enemies, those who curse you, those who hate you and revile you. And this applies to the church as well. This applies even within our own midst. Those whom you think are enemies, you should stop thinking are enemies. This applies to the church. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's easy to do. But when we love and care for those who are hard to love and care for, we point to a reality above our circumstances. A reality outside of our wants and our desires, outside of our control or cultural status or class. When we love our neighbors and even our enemies and show no partiality within the church of Christ, we display the glory of God on earth. We exhibit the riches of the faith, which are worth more than gold or fancy clothing. It's worth more than the big house or the nice car. We image the Lord of glory and lift up those who are lowly and hurting. We point to the final day when Christ comes to set all things right, to judge the wicked and to exalt the humble. That is true glory. And we can only see that by faith. So do not be deceived by the false hope of partiality. Do not throw your brother and sister under the bus because you don't want to get hurt. And instead, want to seek refuge in the status or riches of others or in cultural credibility. Risk it all. Risk it all by showing the world what true justice is. True justice and true equality are only found by faith in Jesus Christ. It is only exhibited in the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is no true equality found in a dead world. There isn't. Do not believe those who say that you must find peace, you must find equality, apart from Jesus. There is no such thing. And you need to exhibit this to the world around you, through your dealings with your brothers and with your sisters in the church, and with your neighbors, and even with your enemies. Put all of your partiality at the feet of Christ. He has suffered, he has died, he has rose again, and he has ascended for your brothers and your sisters here this morning and all over the world. And he will come again for the same, to make all of God's children rich in grace and heirs to a whole new world. A world with no oppression, a world with no hatred, a world with no pain or partiality, a world with no sin. We are all one in Christ Jesus, the Lord of glory. So trust in him for your exaltation and your deliverance. Do not trust the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.